It'll be in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the, one, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of th in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there, is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so comp composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Hey, good morning. You guys doing okay? Thanks for being with us. Um, I want to just say real quickly, if today's maybe your first time at Frontline or you would describe yourself as someone that's doubting, wrestling with some of the claims of Christianity, this is a safe place for you. And it's okay to not uh, have all the answers. It's okay to ask any question. And we're excited to walk with you and process some of those claims together. So thanks for being with us. Uh, several years ago, my family got a membership at the YMCA, which is why I'm so buff today. Uh, so we started going to the gym, and, and what, here's, here's why we picked that. Out of all the options out there, it seems like there's a gym on every corner, and out of all the options, we picked the Y because it had all the benefits that just worked with our family, right? So uh, you had a, a deal where you could, you could go, and they had an indoor pool that had kids sections and stuff for the kids. Uh, you had childcare available, so we would just like drop our kids off and then go on a date downtown, I'm just kidding about that. We never did that. Uh, but you could. You could drop your kids off and then go work out or go do whatever you wanted to do. Um, and then it just had all these other benefits that just worked really well. It was around the corner from where we used to live. That's why we chose the Y. And then on the back end of that, I found out what all they do is an organization. They're a nonprofit, and they are investing a lot of the money that I was giving was going right back into the community, just being a blessing to other people. They're serving the poor real well, and they're kind of rebuilding parts of the community, doing really great stuff. So the why was just this great resource to me, and that's how we made the decision to do that. Now, the, the great thing about the why is that whenever we got to the place where we just didn't want to go, or if we decided we wanted to go to a different gym or work out somewhere else, all we had to do was just cancel our membership and then we were done. It was that easy. It was just like wash your hands of it, and I don't have to think twice about the why again. Now, here's, here's what I don't want you to think. I don't want you to think that I didn't love the why. I loved it. It was great. It worked really well for my family. There just came a time where it no longer was meeting my needs right, and we moved, and it didn't really make sense, so we dropped our membership, and I still have a lot of respect for the why, but really no buy-in or interest with that organization whatsoever. Now, the way I just talked about the why 
is honestly how most Christians in Oklahoma approach their relationship with the local church. It's just like that. The way you kind of shop around and look at all these options and kind of see what all you want in a church. Does it have the preaching that I like? Does it have the type of singing that I like? And, and, and does it have all these programs that are gonna meet my needs? Or uh, does it have all the right kids ministry stuff? And on and on and on, we can go down this list. And what's bizarre is we often don't even realize that the way our culture has shaped us as consumers causes us to enter into the local church with almost an unrealized checklist of things. Oh, I like the way they did that. That's a point in their favor. Oh, I don't like the way they did that. That's a negative in their favor. And then if you walk out of that church with more check marks in the right boxes than in the wrong boxes, then that could be a good church for you. And you might give it a chance and you might come back. Now, part of this isn't bad, right? Part of it is really okay because unlike living in the first century when the New Testament was written, when you didn't really have a lot of options, it's like you live in Corinth, what's your option? The Corinthian church, there you go. You have that one option. So we we live in a day and age where you have a lot of options. You have some good churches, you have some incredible churches, and then you have some bad churches, So it is helpful, isn't it, to be able to live in a place where you have a lot of options and you can try to find the the healthiest, best church for you. That, that, That can be good. But the negative is that you and I can turn into almost like wine connoisseurs of the church where we're sniffing and tasting and consuming and we actually never become bought in covenant members of a local church. And it can really thwart our spiritual growth and development. Now, the reason I bring all that up is, like you've already heard, we're going to take a break from our Philippians series for just this Sunday, and we're going to do a standalone sermon on church membership. Every year in the summer, we take the month of July, and as a church, we just say, well, what are we doing together? What is this thing called church membership? And if you've gone through the process, if you've gone through our class, and you've become a covenant member at Frontline, then you know that we take membership very, very seriously as a church. We have no interest in having a database of people that grows and grows and grows that gets shoved in a drawer somewhere that no one ever pays attention to. We actually want to know who you are, and we want you to know who we are, and we want to do life together. And so what we do every year, we take July to give you an opportunity to renew your covenant and membership to this church. So that's what we're talking about today, and I just want to take a minute and unpack the why of church membership. Why does it matter to you and to me in 2018 in the culture that we live in? Why does church membership matter? So that's where we're headed, and uh, I want to just start by giving you a definition of church membership, because I, I know this is something that you think about all the time. You know, Monday through Saturday, you're thinking about church membership. Not really. So let me, let me just define this for you. Here you go. Church membership is a countercultural relationship with God and with Christians inside of a local church in which they make a covenant with each other to love God, love people, and push back darkness. It's a countercultural relationship with God and other Christians in a local church where you, you make a, an agreement, a covenant together. I'm gonna love God these ways and I'm gonna love you these ways and we're gonna together as a community, we're gonna push back Darkness. So just four things that I need you to see real quickly about church membership. Here's the first one. Church membership is countercultural. It's countercultural. And I think this is why we actually really struggle with membership in the local church as a culture. Because it's inherently going against everything that our culture values. 
Think for just a second about what culture around you values in this moment. Uh, We really value autonomy. We really value being free to make your own decisions. We, we all have this idea just because of the movies that we inhale, the podcasts that we listen to, the books that we read, the way that we've been brought up as a society. What we believe in the West is that the, the, the highest, most fundamental good is being true to who you are in yourself. So you've got to find yourself and you've got to be true to yourself and you've got to throw off other restraints and outside wisdom and restrictions and just be you. You do you, and whatever's right for you, whatever feels good for you, whatever makes sense in your own world, just do that. Be true to your own heart, to your own self. This is every Disney movie. This is just kind of in the culture that we breathe. So inherently what that means is that things like accountability and things like being dependent on someone else and things like commitment and covenant, we almost have a cultural allergy to, don't we? It's almost like I can't, I can't covenant myself to someone else or I can't be a part of something bigger than me. I can't submit myself to anybody else because if I do that, then, then chances are that's gonna restrict my individual autonomy and freedom and I don't like the way that that feels. But here comes the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 and he says some things about the church that just rub all of us the wrong way, go totally against the grain of what culture says. I just want to read this section to you. This is 1 Corinthians 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. I want you to capture what Paul's trying to say. This is bizarre. When we just a few minutes ago baptized Savannah and Julie under the waters, we we took them under the waters and brought them up. What Paul is saying is unbelievably reality for us. He's saying two things happened. Number one, that God has saved us from our sin, and that's a big deal. Julie, think about her life and, and where she was and the pagan practices that she was engaging. And what happens when she comes over the water, back out of the water, we're celebrating as a church that her old life is left in this watery grave, that she's died to herself, and now everything that's true of Jesus is true of Julie. How crazy, like the righteousness of Jesus is given to Julie, and when God the Father thinks of Julie, he doesn't think about her past because he's drowned that in the ocean of his love, and he looks at her and he says, she's as righteous and loved as Jesus is. She's been saved from sin. That's a big deal, right? But what he's also saying is not just that we were saved from something. As Christians, we've also been saved into something. Look at what he says. He says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into what? Not just Jesus, but into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Here's the reality of what it is to be a Christian. It means that you are saved and tied to Jesus by grace, but you're also saved into the body of Jesus and tied to the church by grace. In other words, you and I are unbelievably connected now because of Jesus, and he didn't just want to save you from sin, he wanted to save you into this thing that we call the church. And he wants you to think about the human bodies, like you've got arms and legs and kidneys and eyes and all these things. All these members of your body make up one whole, 
And he's saying that's exactly what it is to be a Christian. You're now a part of the body of Christ. You're a member. Now, what does it mean to be a member of the body of Christ? It doesn't mean that you're like a card-carrying member. You have like a card that you carry around. When he says member, he's not talking about that type of member. He's saying member like an arm is a member of my body. Now, that's a little different than carrying a card saying I'm a member of the church. It's like, no, I am a part of the church. I'm actually connected. I'm, I am uh, the church. I make up this church. So you are now the eyes or the kidneys or the arms of the body of Christ. You're essential. Now think about this. I'm, I want to read the next set of verses here, chapter 12, verse 21. I just want you to think about the radical way that you and I are connected together, not just to Jesus by grace, but to each other. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Now listen to this. He says, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. What he's saying is so countercultural because we live in this cultural moment where it's like you do you and you don't belong to anybody else and you're only responsible for you and if it's not hurting anybody else, then it's okay. And what Paul is saying is, well, actually, you're no longer an autonomous individual. That when you were baptized into Jesus and raised up out of that water, you know what happened? You joined the body of Christ and you basically took your autonomous individual self and laid it down and became not just a forgiven saint, but someone that's now connected to other people in the church. So you're no longer this autonomous individual. You have a new identity as members of the body of Christ. But it's not just that. It's also, hey, you're no longer free to live however you want because guess what? When you suffer, everybody else suffers. And when you are hurting, everybody else is hurting. And when you're rejoicing, everybody else can rejoice. We're so connected that actually your pain is my pain. And your sorrow is my sorrow. And your celebration and your joy, it's my joy. It's my celebration. That's how connected we are in Jesus. And it also means that just like any other part of your body, if I were to chop off my arm and throw it over in the corner, it's not like my arm is going to thrive. It's going to wither up and die. And what happens when we disconnect ourselves from the body of Christ, we no longer can get the type of life in Jesus that we were designed to experience and we wither up and we start to slowly die. And just like if I were to cut my arm off and throw it in the corner, my body would miss that. My body would need that. Even though I could still function without my left arm, uh, I wouldn't be able to function to the full capacity. And some of you in this room, you've bought into this weird lie that you just don't matter to the church, that you don't have any gifts, that you're not really supposed to do anything. You just kind of show up as a consumer. And I want to tell you that you are an arm <laughs> or a leg or eyes or some other part of the body, and you do deeply matter to the life of this church. You do deeply matter, and we actually need your gifts. We need your connectedness to fully function the way that we're supposed to function. So, it's this countercultural relationship, being a member of the body of Christ. Now, he, here's, here's something that 
often comes up at this point, a question that arises when we think about, I was saved, not just from sin, but I was saved into the body of Christ. The question that arises is, if that's really true, then why does membership in a church matter? Like, you know, if I'm already a member of the body of Christ, why do I have to go through some weird process with Frontline Church to become a member of Frontline Church? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Jesus already did the work. I'm a part of the body. I'm good to go, right? Well, here's the second thing I want you to see, that church membership isn't just countercultural. Church membership is hyper, hyper local. Church membership is local. Uh, here's the reality. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, he's not writing to a generic group of Christians in a generic time frame with a generic culture, with generic leaders, and just saying, yeah, you're the church. No, he's writing to the Corinthian church. These were people with identities and names and individuals that are coming together that they had pastors and leaders that were overseeing them and they had people that that they, they could look at each other and go yeah we make up together the corinthian church see what's crazy is the bible talks about church in two ways it doesn't just talk about church as this big spiritual thing like the bride of christ or when jesus in matthew 16 says i will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail He's talking about the church as this really big, broad, spiritual thing, but the Bible also talks about the church as this hyper-local reality that you and I are connected to, and you can't just pretend that the only thing that matters is the big spiritual thing, and the local thing doesn't matter at all. There are actually some evidence that uh, they had this idea of covenant membership in the local church where they could look at each other and say, yeah, together we make up the church at Ephesus or the church at Corinth or the church at wherever. Together, this is who we are and these are the things that we're gonna do together. Let me just give you a few pieces of evidence that the New Testament had this concept of a local body of members calling themselves the church. Here's the first one. Each local church actually had specific pastors and leaders that were over those churches. Each local church had specific pastors over those churches. Let, let me say it like this. I love the people of the Village Church in Dallas. Matt Chandler and all those guys, those are good friends of ours. We love what they're doing. They're great people. And I'm so glad that at night when I go to bed, I don't have to think about the people of the Village Church. How are they doing? Are they sinning? Are they rejecting God? How's their marriage? How's their singleness? Are they being faithful sexually? Like, I don't have to think about that because they're not my people and I'm not a pastor over people at the village church. But there's this reality that I am a pastor over this church and I do go to bed at night thinking about you guys and I do go to bed at night. How's their marriage? How's their sex life? Are they staying faithful to Jesus? Are they pursuing him? Are they fighting sin? I do go to bed at night thinking about those things because I'm one of the pastors that God has placed over this specific local church. Let me just show you some verses. Hebrews 13, verse seven. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You see, you're supposed to have such a relationship with the pastors of this church, if you're a member here, that you know who we are, and you can observe the outcome of our way of life and go, okay, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I'm actually supposed to, to be in relationship with you. Like the goal of being a pastor is not, I hope no one ever has my cell phone number, and I, I hope I can just kind of hide out in an ivory tower. The goal is you. That's why we're here. Here's another one, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls. Here's the scariest part, as those who will have to give an account. 
I won't give an account for people at Bridgeway Church, but I will give an account for you here at Frontline. I'll stand before Jesus and say, this is what I did, right or wrong, to serve these people and to lead them and to teach them the truth and to disciple them and to lead them on mission. And then this is my favorite part of the verse as a pastor. I'm not gonna lie to you. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. He's like, just make their job easy, please. And I'm like, yes and amen to that. Please just do that for us, right? It's a great verse. I have it like over my bed. I'm just kidding, I don't. I should put it over my bed. First Thessalonians chapter five, listen to this. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. See, there's churches that have set leaders over set people and they're standing before Jesus to give an account for these people. Here's what I did well, here's what I didn't do well. This is how I tried to lead. You're supposed to know who your leaders are to know the way of their life, and that's the type of relationship that we're supposed to have. Here's the second thing that we see in the New Testament that kind of cues us to this idea of church membership. I don't know if you realize this, the church in Ephesus was the largest church in the first century. Several thousand people. Timothy was the lead pastor of this church, and Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he's writing to Timothy, this young leader, and he's kind of, kind of encouraging him and giving him some directions, and at one point in chapter 5, he talks about a church role. Did you know the first century, they actually had a, a membership database, a role of people that were a part of the church? And here's what he's saying. He's saying, there's widows in your church and I want you to find all the widows that are over the age of 60 and meet all of these qualifications. And if they meet those qualifications, then I want you to take that money that you have as a church and I want you to fund those widows. See, the widows in that culture were the, the most vulnerable, marginalized people in society. They, they didn't have uh, 401ks or retirement plans or uh, government assistance. And so literally, if their husband died, the most vulnerable person you could be in the first century was either an orphan or a widow. And so Paul's giving Timothy some instructions saying, hey, use your money, care for the most vulnerable people in your midst. And here, what, here's what I want you to do. Look through your database, find widows who are over the age of this, this age, meet these qualifications, Serve them, help them. Timothy was supposed to know who were the widows and who weren't, how old they were, and, and did they meet these qualifications. He had a grid, despite having several thousand people in his church, he had a grid of here's who our members are, here's what's going on in life, they're married or they're single or this or that, and here's how we should care for them. It's an idea of church membership. And then finally, the third kind of cue that we have that you need hyper-local membership to do this thing well is the one another commands in Scripture. I just want you to think about this with me for just a minute. The one another commands. These are commands that are uh, do this one to another, one another, one another. I don't know if you realize there are 59 one another commands in Scripture. 59 of them. Let me just show you a few of these. Be at peace with each other. Wash one another's feet. Doesn't mean then what it means now, right? Uh, Love one another a bunch. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Stop passing judgment on another. Uh, Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. On and on and on and on and on we could go. Next slide. Those are beautiful. Next slide. Next slide. Right? I mean, this is amazing. I just want you to think about that for just a second. You are supposed to do that with the people in this room. 
I am supposed to do that with the people in this room. And that's so easy to do when I never show up or I'm not a part of a community group. Let me say it like this. Like, I love the people at Bridgeway Church. I love them. And sure, I'd bear their burdens and yeah, I'd take care of them and I'd outdo one another in showing honor. That's all great because I don't know any of the people at Bridgeway Church. I'm sure they're wonderful, but I don't know them. But here's what happens. The second that you enter inside of a community group and you realize, oh my gosh, I actually don't like this person. I don't even want to be around this person. But somehow, in the grace and weirdness of what Jesus has done for me, he's not just forgiven me, but he's connected me to this person. And I'm now supposed to bear their burden and outdo them in showing honor and consider them more important than myself and love them and give to them and serve them. This is what you're supposed to do. And it's really easy when you don't know anybody and don't connect yourself and don't actually uh, get involved in the messiness of life in the local church. I'll say it like this. When uh, my wife and I started dating, it was so easy for me to love her well. It was so easy. It was like I was able to be so romantic and creative and we did all these great things and I was just like laying my life down for her because I did not live with her. And then we got married and I realized all the problems that she has. I'm just kidding. They're, they're my problems. I'm gonna pay for that later. They're mainly my problems. But I realized that it's actually in getting close proximity with another person that all the stuff that was deep in my soul started to surface that I didn't want to pay attention to. Things like selfishness and greed and wanting to just be left alone and do my own thing. And, and I realized I was an introvert and just like would prefer to live on an island by myself for the rest of my life, right? And it's like, no one wants to be married to that guy, but she was and we're, we got to figure this out. And, and now we're having to, now all of a sudden it's like, okay, I said I loved you before. I had no idea what I was talking about. I want to learn to love you now. I want to learn to do this with you now. And now it really matters. That's what it is to be a part of the church. You can think you're amazing. You can think you're godly. You can think you're spiritual. Oh, I read my Bible. I pray. Yeah, yeah. Join community and then we'll talk about your sanctification. Right? Ronald Rollheiser says it this way. He says, what church community takes away from us is our false freedom to soar unencumbered like the birds, believing that we are mature, loving, committed, and not blocking out things that we should be seeing. Real church going, soon enough, shatters this illusion and gives us no escape as we find ourselves constantly humbled as our immaturities and lack of sensitivity to the pain of others are reflected off of eyes that are honest and unblinking. Can I just be real with you for a minute? I think one of the reasons why white evangelicalism in Oklahoma struggles with this idea of racism and, and, and uh, are we really that way and have we really created systemic racism and do we really have problems is because we have homogenized ourselves to death and we only get around people that look like us, think like us, talk like us and we are not realizing that in Jesus' death and resurrection he has actually connected you to other people who also believe in Jesus of different ethnicities and cultures and you are so solidified with them that their burdens should be your burdens and their cares should be your cares and their plights and their struggles are now my plight and my struggle. Amen? And we struggle to see that and go, I don't know. Yet you can only struggle to see racism in your heart if you're not around someone that isn't like you. 
And you need that not just with the area of racism, you need that with every area of your life and I need it too, or else we will not grow the way that we're supposed to grow. So church membership, it's not just countercultural, right? It's hyper-local. Here's the third thing I want you to see. Church membership is covenantal. What does that word mean? It's not a word that we throw out as a culture very often. Let me explain it like this. Uh, one of my favorite stories in high school, I first read this story, and it became just a, a story that I loved so much so that I got a tattoo of the scene on my arm because I love this story. It comes from the Odyssey. Any Odyssey fans out there? There's a section of that story where uh, Ulysses is the, the Latin word, or Odysseus is the, the main character in the story, and Odysseus is on this journey home. And it's a, it's a difficult, strenuous, crazy journey with a lot of dangers. And he's nearing the end of his journey and one of the people warned Odysseus. They said, hey, on your way home, you're gonna pass by these sirens. And these sirens are gonna be singing beautiful music and they're beautiful, beautiful sirens. And everything in you is gonna be drawn to them, but be careful, be warned. If you swim over to them, like every sailor has that ever swims by them, then you are gonna be dashed against the rocks and they're gonna devour you. See, that was the siren's tactic. They would sing beautiful music and then sailors would swim over to them not realizing that they're actually sitting on bones of dead sailors. They would grab these sailors, dash their bodies against the rocks and devour them. And so Odysseus, he does something interesting. He plugs his men's ears with wax so that they can't hear the siren call and he has them he has them row by the sirens, but before they get there, he says, here's what I want you to do. There's a part of me that really wants to hear the sirens sing. So tie me to the mast. I want you to tie me to the mast, and if I try to break free at any point to swim over, tie me tighter. Tie me tighter. Don't let me swim over to them, but don't clog my ears because I want to hear. And so they do. They, they sail right by, and Odysseus in the story, he's straining to break from the bonds. He wants to get free from the ropes, but he can't. He can't, but he's, he's hearing the siren call, and his heart is drawn to the sirens, but he's tied to the mast, and he can't get there, and he safely makes his way eventually home, getting back to his family. Now, the reason I love that story is doesn't life on planet Earth feel like sailing by sirens? where the world and sin are calling out to you, hey, here's how you live. Here's what you should love. Here's what you should give your life to. Here are the things that you should sacrifice for. Here's how you should think about sex and money and pleasure and singleness and marriage and parent. Like, this is the world's vision. It's just the siren call going out to you. And your heart and my heart, we have these, like, we have this honing beacon that is constantly looking for something to love, constantly looking for something to desire, something to worship, and we're bouncing around all these things, and Monday through Saturday, my heart is drawn to the world. I'm drawn to the vision of the world, that the, 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 the vision of the good life that the world holds out. I'm drawn to the vision of marriage and sex and, 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 and money and possessions and just kind of unplugging and checking out. I'm drawn to the vision that the world holds out Monday through Saturday. And do you know what church is? Church is the grace of Jesus tying you to himself and tying you to each other so that when you hear that siren's call, you're not able to break free and go do whatever you want. That's what church is. And it's not just Sunday when we gather. It's Monday through Saturday as we scatter to live on mission together as the people of God's salt in this world, light in the darkness. This is church. It's a covenant relationship, not just with Jesus where I say, thank you for saving me, I'm in this with you. It's, 
and I'm in this with you. I've been saved from sin, connected to Jesus, and I've been saved into this body, and now I'm connected to you. And I know, and, and, and there are temptations that I have where deep down it's like, maybe I could not be a pastor anymore and go like work for UPS because boxes, last time I checked, they don't sin, right? So I could just drive boxes all day long and I wouldn't have to deal with sin, it'd be great, right? And, and maybe I could leave Jesus and I have these moments where it's like, maybe I could just run away and just go live with my, my own heart, my own sinful desires. And, and in the back of my head, I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that I'm tied to you and I'm tied to the body. And I know that if I were to run and live in sin, I know that you would be knocking at my door. I know that you'd be in my living room. I know that you'd be sitting with me, processing and calling me to repentance. And it is the thing that ties us to Jesus by his grace. It's a covenant that we make. It's a lot more like marriage than it is having a membership to the Y. Let me read this by Ronald Roheiser. Church involvement, when understood properly, does not leave us the option to walk away whenever something happens that we do not like. It is a covenant commitment like a marriage and it binds us for better or worse. Now I just wanna quickly say, it's not like if you're a member of this church, ha, gotcha, you're stuck forever. That's not what I want you to hear. But in our culture, we have a major problem with the second something happens that rubs me the wrong way. You say something that I don't like or you do something I don't like, then I'm out. We do this in marriage, we do this in relationship with each other, and we do this with relationship to the church that Jesus loves so much. It's more like a marriage than it is having a, a membership at the Y. Last thing I want you to see and I'll be done. Church membership, it's not just covenantal, it's essential. It's essential. Now what do I mean by essential? Well, let me tell you what I don't mean. I don't mean that in order to really be a Christian, you have to be a member of a church because membership is not the thing that saves you. Jesus is the thing that saves you, amen? So it's not being a part of a local church that saves you, but it is essential in this sense. It's essential because you and I cannot actually grow the way God intended us to grow and thrive and flourish in the way that God intended us to thrive and flourish if we disconnect ourselves from the body of Christ. You need to realize that an essential element of your discipleship and your development and of your growing in love with Jesus and faithfulness for the long haul, an essential element of that is membership in the local church. It's Sunday gathering as so we connect to each other and hear the preaching of the word and we sing the songs and we confess and experience assurance. It's taking communion and then it's Sunday when we, or it's Monday through Saturday when we scatter to live together on mission. Those two th things are an essential element. It's a discipline that we have forgotten how to build into our lives. I recently heard a pastor say this, and it kind of blew me away because I think it's true. He said, if you have people in your church that are over the age of 55, you can just automatically assume that if they're Christians, they've been taught to read their Bible and to pray every day. But if you have Christians in your church that are under the age of 55, you need to just assume that they rarely read their Bibles during the week and they rarely pray unless it's over a meal. That we have forgotten as a culture how to do any sort of discipline. 
And I love that there's this emphasis on grace because Christianity is a, it's, it's a, it's a story of grace. It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done. It's not about what I offer or contribute. It's about what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection. But we have forgotten that grace is not a pass to not have any sort of activity in our relationship with Jesus or each other. We've forgotten that grace actually empowers a life of discipline. It empowers a life of killing sin. It empowers a life of holiness. It empowers a life of, I wanna follow him and do what it takes. I wanna read my Bible, I wanna pray. And I want you to realize that showing up on a Sunday is one of the most beautiful, vital, important things you can do for your heart with Jesus. I don't know if you could resonate with this, but if it weren't for the Sunday gathering, if it weren't for, for what we're doing in this moment, I don't know if I could stay following Jesus faithfully for the long haul. You have no idea how you minister and bless me on a Sunday when I walk in. I spend my week thrown about by the vision that the world holds out to me, just, just siren calls left and right, and this is one of the key anchor points in my week where I'm being formed in a different way that the world is forming me Monday through Saturday. You are being formed like crazy, counterformation in our world left and right, and this, what, what we do together, it forms you in a beautiful, important way. Let me read this quote from Mark Sayers. He says, in an age that encourages maximum autonomy and the transgressing of limitations, perhaps what we need is to see the institution of church as a spiritual discipline. We get the idea that making the choice to wake up early and read our Bibles or to commit to regularly giving away our money to a charity or to fast may not always be pleasurable, but in the discipline of these things, we become more Christ-like. Yet we expect church to always be pleasurable, enriching, exciting. Maybe the limitations of church, the discipline of regular attendance, the commitment it requires also teach us to be Christ-like. Maybe we need to reimagine the church in our minds as a spiritual discipline, which teaches us the value of delayed gratification, of personally investing in change, of becoming more like Jesus. Here's what Sunday gatherings do for you. You show up filled with this vision of life that the world has given you. And slowly throughout our time together, that vision is chipped away and Jesus starts to remind you, here's who you really are in me. Here's what I've really done for you. Here's the kingdom that I brought you into. Here's the spirit that I've put inside of you. Here's the new way that you were to live. Right, so you might show up and be like, oh, it's not my favorite band leading today, or oh, he's preaching again, or oh, you know, that sermon wasn't that great. Hey, all of that misses the mark because even when the sermons aren't that great and the band doesn't knock it out of the park and everything doesn't flow the way that it should flow, you and I are being formed into, I have been forgiven by Jesus. He is alive. He's given me his Holy Spirit, a new identity. He's his broken body was for me. His shed blood was for me. People are going under the water and coming up as new people. I've been called into a kingdom that can't be shaken. I've been given an identity that won't go away. He's a father to the fatherless. This is amazing. I want to change the way that I live. That's what Sundays do for you. That's why we do this. If I could encourage you to do two things. Even before you get to the place of reading your Bible and praying throughout the week, show up every Sunday unless you're sick or out of town. 
And then just join a community group where you're with people in the mess and in the muck and in the mire and try to do this life together because Jesus loves his bride so much he gave his life for it.